Hello everyone, uh, welcome back to Technical. Um, today again I'm in the field and I'm joined by Kunyanya Tsoka. So I'm pretty sure you, if you've read Tegzin for the last, Kunyanya, how long is it? Two, two years. Two years? Yeah, you'd be familiar with him. Um, he's the, the dev who made it big on Udemy, um, well, teaching courses on Udemy, I should say. Uh, maybe let's start there, Kunyanya. How are you? Thank you for inviting me to your lovely home. Uh, just a very short notice, again, uh, complications during the day, but thanks for making the time. Absolutely, uh, it's nice to have you, Valentine. Um, so as you've alluded to, um, I've been with you guys, I've had run-ins with you guys for uh, quite some time now, uh, dating back as far as three years. Um, I think one of the first major articles that you had on me was on this Udemy course, as you said, right? Mm. So I'm sure let's just start there for yeah. a second. Um, so as some of you might know, I uh, started out a Udemy course on um, iOS development, which became um, a bestseller, and I became a bestseller instructor. On that, and uh, I think that's one of the first articles that you wrote on that. And yeah. a year later, um, we did a uh, checkup on that course, and ended up realizing that this made a pretty, um, pretty decent amount of passive income. Um, yeah. We're talking about five figures. The exact amount we uh, we, we picked up from them that first year was about twenty thousand wow. um, US dollars. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, from the comments generated, and I think. Um, the, the, the general uh, perception around it is that it's, it's a pretty decent way uh, to make some passive income or yeah. knowledge and skills that you had, uh, which was pretty cool at the time. Yeah, good. So that was a lot of money, 20 grand in, in, in those years ago. Uh, even today, it's a lot of money. Um, and most people don't know that you can monetize um, you know, and make passive income, which is the whole perception of what passive income in Zimbabwe. Actually, yes. Um, and which is actually the, the key reason that we're here today yeah. is because... Um, I've had this feeling, and maybe I might be wrong, mm-hmm. but um, I haven't really been within the, uh, the local development scene for quite some time. Uh, because since then, I've ended up becoming a CTO for a Boston-based startup. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've, we, we work with a pretty diverse team from around the world. Uh, we've got Chinese developers, Indian developers. So I've been working within that global set for quite some time as a remote developer. And um, yes, um, monetizing the skills that I, I basically have. Um, so everything from teaching, I, I still continue to teach on Udemy, making that passive income, but as well as working for farm-based companies as well as ACTO uh, and monetizing skills that I have. So um, I guess one of the key things that I've just started to wonder about is whether as Zimbabweans we've been able to take advantage of that opportunity, mm. right? Um, development um, or software development uh, in itself is, is, is a skill, right? Yeah. And I'm more than convinced that the right amount of talent exists out there. Um, but I'm not too sure what the perception is about uh, people with that talent and with that kind of skill is towards uh, taking advantage of the kind of opportunities that we have, uh, especially in this new global um, marketplace. Um, for example, uh, teaching on places like Udemy. Yeah. Uh, that Udemy course was actually the first course I'd actually ever made. And uh, with it, uh, as we've, we've, we've just seen, I've been able to make some passive income. But um, even beyond that, I've taken those skills up to a, an entirely different level. Uh, uh, I ended up working for a couple of companies, selling with the one that I'm with right now, which is known as The Cobbles, right? And uh, this company that I'm with, we're trying to solve the idea of trying to bring um, communities together, right? Um, we're trying to solve the problem of um, bringing neighborhoods together. And I've worked with these people. Um, I'll, I'll just add, I'm the only black person in the company. <laughs> the only African person that a lot of them have ever worked with before. Mm-hmm. But there haven't been any limitations. Before. I just want to put that out there. There haven't been any major limitations in, in as far as um, uh, my lack of a computer science degree. Okay. Um, in as far as having huge experience, maybe with bigger companies uh, before. And um, I wonder uh, if... As Zimbabweans, we've been able to take advantage of this opportunity, um, which brings us here today. Because uh, what I've really come up with is this course, um, which I feel would bring about greater awareness to these kind of opportunities, and also uh, to help Zimbabweans to become more competent in certain skills and in, in, in development, and uh, to know how to take advantage of these kind of opportunities as well. So it's it's the course then to help people, but before we get to that, it's the whole not having a, a computer science degree. In Zimbabwe, the perception is usually um, you need a degree to be able to do anything. And you're testing to the fact that that's not the case. Since you've worked with so many international companies, 
what are they looking for when they're looking for developers? Let's just say uh, this context. That's, that's a good one. Um, uh, the perception, and this has also been an opinion of mine for a very long time. Um, when we go all the way back to uh, Rhodesia, mm. right, we've had established professions, things like uh, when you go through high school, often not, when you're doing well, you become a doctor, you become mm. an accountant. Usually those are the usual paths that you take when you become a lawyer. Yeah. And all these are degree professions, uh, nonetheless. But um, software development is a, is a very um, interesting field in that the, uh, your degree or lack thereof um, isn't always a big hindrance um, in trying to find a meaningful opportunity. Uh, that doesn't mean that having a degree is um, not an advantage. By all means it is, right? But the lack of a degree does not actually hinder you from uh, making a meaningful um, or having a meaningful opportunity taken up. Um, so yes, um, as you alluded to, I don't have a degree. What are companies looking for? Uh, well, it depends on the company, okay. right? Um, I mean, we could talk about local companies, okay. which may require some kind of a degree, but um, having worked as a CTO for about two years, a degree hasn't always been the, the most important mm-hmm. of, of, of uh, qualifications that we look for. And oftentimes is because people go to university, for example, yeah. For your degree, uh, by the end of that, whatever technology that you learned back then pretty much becomes relevant, right? Mm-hmm. We can go four years back, and PHP as a programming language may have been a bit more relevant back then, mm-hmm. um, although it was already in its dying phases. But now we talk about things like um, React.js, we've got new frameworks like Next.js, and even those are being sunset. Um, for example, we have things like React Native, but now people are moving on to Flutter. Mm-hmm. So the whole software uh, marketplace is dynamic. It's moving. It's fast. Mm-hmm. So a degree as a certification of your competency isn't always a good measure. And what companies often look for, or what I'd say I'd look for as a CTO, is I'd look into um, your competency level uh, based off of you know, your, your portfolio of, of projects, what you've been able to achieve before, mm. uh, things like that. Um, um, I'd look at your marketability. Um, you can, uh, for example, be out there uh, teaching, as I, I've done. That was a major advantage on my part, uh, being able to articulate what I know mm. to tens of thousands of students that I've been teaching on being from across the world. Um, your, your place in places like uh, media, writing blog posts on technology and so forth. Yeah. There are a wide range of factors. And even when you apply for a position, they have interviews um, which measure your competency levels as well. They take, they take into consideration a, a broad range of things. And ultimately, what they're looking for is competency, passion in what you're trying to do. And a degree um, is generally felt not to be always the best measure of that. Although that doesn't come as um, that doesn't that shouldn't come across as saying don't get a degree, yeah. right? But I can quote, for example, with, from from very big um, Silicon Valley um, um, heavyweights, the likes of Peter Thiel, yeah. um, who was one of the early stage investors in Facebook, who actively doesn't encourage people to get degrees at all, right? Yeah. And he actively will only uh, or mostly invest in people who don't have degrees but have a great idea and mm-hmm. who can prove because. Uh, with tech, we um, we invest in the person. Investors do the same. The CTOs, the CTOs, we invest. We look at the person. Uh, this is who we're investing in. This is what we're looking up to. So uh, people like Peter Thiel, um, being a heavyweight tech investor in the Silicon Valley, um, actively discourages degrees. And you, you go look at people like um, like Elon Musk, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, he's another very good example of that. And um, he he again doesn't uh, use degrees as a as a as a as a general measure of how good you are as an engineer. Although here we're we're kind of stemming off from just software development, but in general, this is a big feeling in Silicon Valley, which is rippled right across um, even as far as the Boston um, software development scene, and which has allowed people like me who um, trained as accountants, uh, because you know when we went to school, this is what we were taught. Um, was going to be the most stable thing for us to do. Yeah. We ended up evolving to become computer scientists without degrees, without certifications, but still managed to make um, and take up um, meaningful positions with meaningful incomes. I see. So I, I've always been of the opinion that if you want to do well in the world, you have to have a drive. And the drive doesn't, doesn't necessarily come by you achieving a piece of paper that says you've done this. As I've always said to people, uh, a degree is a is like a, you know, you get your license in Zim. 
you get a certificate of competency. You can barely drive. In, in those first few months and weeks, it, it shows that this person is pretty much new at it. But the more you get into it, the more you get used to it. You actually learn more about your driving habits when you've already gotten it. Or if you're like me, you drove for a bit without their license. You, you form habits of driving that are hard to get out of that are not textbook. So what you said is people uh, out there, people are looking for people who are more engaged, adaptable, willing to learn. Because the perception is, um, at least from my opinion, is that people, when they get a degree, they feel they can't learn anything else. Yeah. They've achieved. They're, they're done. Uh, that's a very good point that you brought up. Because a degree doesn't measure your passion yeah. after you've got that piece of paper. As you've alluded to, the idea is that once you've got that degree, there's nothing more to learn. You're, a, you're an expert, and uh, that's it. Mm. Um, and that's exactly what companies don't look for, is, is because once you're in that field, particularly when you're in software development, it's so dynamic, you're always learning. Yeah. You're always constantly learning. And it's a problem-solving field. So you're constantly having to learn new skill sets and learn new ways of solving problems that you're not familiar with, which is pretty, big, pretty much been my day-to-day. Yeah. Uh, not to scare people away from the field itself. It's very exciting, um, but it's one where you have to be actively engaged and uh, pretty much passionate about it. And uh, like I said, it's all about the person. This is what we look for when um, we try to hire people into our own company. And uh, the kind of people who make it in this field um, have certain attributes. And that's the hard work that they put in, uh, the, the wanting to learn, to, to become better, to solve problems, and so forth. It's the person that we often invest in and um, that do well in this kind of field. Mm, see, but there's a, there's a tendency, I think, in people, when you get into a field like your software development, which is excruciatingly complex, uh, there's so many complex concepts and there's so many business cultures to understand and learn. And now in some senses, a degree kind of formalizes that. It gets you that entry. I know now it's no longer as relevant as it was, let's say, 10 years or 15 years back. But when you're coming in having certified, because there's lots of Google certificates you can get on a number of, of, of different um, Udemy, like we spoke about, uh, uh, platforms you can get these certifications that can make you, that can enter into the field or at the very least learn. Even YouTube. I know developers who are working at very high levels who, who learned it just off YouTube and trial and error. But when you get into this field and you meet these very, very, you know, learned people who are not, not learned in the sense of or papered up, but I mean learned in the sense of they've learned so much through experience mm-hmm. that you begin to put yourself against them in how much you have to learn. And that fear of not having a degree can mm-hmm. come into it. Because someone could say, I've got a computer science degree, right? Mm-hmm. And they've been in the company six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And they've learned so much and accrued so much knowledge that as, a, as someone coming in without a degree, especially from the Zimbabwean perspective, mm-hmm. you then look at that person and you're like, wait, I have to learn all of this. I have to measure myself up against this person. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how does one, since you're a chief technical officer, how do you then, with new recruits who come in a system like that, and you're in a position of leadership, how then do you convey that? Because I, I guess we're speaking to that young Zimbabwean who is in a similar position, who mm-hmm. doesn't know how to approach this and might not know how to probably juxtapose themselves to people who are who have done so well that they can't measure themselves up. And that question of degree and learning and whatnot comes into question. All right. Um, before I, I, I answer that question, I just wanted to get past the idea that this is a big very complex field. I feel it's important that I do that is because computer science is so wide. Mm. Uh, in the particular field that I'm in, um, we're talking about development, uh, particularly websites and apps. Um, in, in our case, we're developing an app, um, an iOS app that we have, and a front-facing website built in React mm. and a back-end built in Node.js. Um, I like to domesticify that because uh, computer science is very wide, and there's always this perception that you need a lot of maths and so forth to sort of uh, do well in this kind of field. But the reality of this is, from my day-to-day, there hasn't been a lot of mathematics, and it's really been really uh, just applying things that I've just learned. And uh, yeah, there are new things that you have to learn here and there, but it is not a complex field at all. Um, But then there are branches to it that do get complex. Um, Things like machine learning, uh, data science, which is all part of the same computer science um, 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 field. Uh, these do tend to get complicated, but there's always a place there for anyone, really, if they have a passion to just journey building things. Now, uh, coming back to what you had said about measuring up against people who had uh, done so well, well, yes, there is that fear. Um, generally, I had that fear as well when I was first made uh, CTO. Uh, before CTO, I was a tech lead. And uh, the person I was measuring up against um, actually came from one of the, um, the Ivy League universities, uh, Brown University, uh, uh, he was a Korean guy. And mm-hmm. You know how we have this perception about, yeah. about Asians being extremely intelligent. Yeah. And I was replacing him. Okay. Uh, right. And, and, and yes, I had that fear too, yeah. right? About measuring up because I was taking up on his projects. 
And I'm working with seasoned uh, venture capitalists, people who've been in this game. They've exited uh, a number of companies and have uh, built up a wealth of about $50 million uh, amongst themselves. Um, these are heavyweights. And all of a sudden, they've got this African guy um, from Zimbabwe, um, the only black guy in the company. And they promoted him from tech lead to CTO because they have had so much confidence uh, in him. Mm-hmm. Seeing everything that I had done from before, my portfolio of projects stemming back to my previous company, CodeSage, uh, they looked at my Udemy. And they looked at my, 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 my myself as a person. They did Google searches. They do a background research yeah. around your social media profiles and everything. And they're like, this is the guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, you have a lot of confidence in me, right? Yeah. Uh, and what you find is, yes, that fear is there. But... Um, it all comes back to that passion because when you're actively within computer science and um, depending on how you've been oriented uh, towards um, solving the kind of problems that you face, you end up quickly uh, becoming used to the role and you quickly adapt to the role to the point that you actually start to do very well. It's about attitude a lot of the time. It's really about attitude. And even despite that, um, I wrote an article actually on Medium, which uh, actually did pretty well in, in terms of the eyes of a lot of other software developers, talking about the problems left behind by my predecessor, which is this guy who went to this very big university in mm-hmm. because he had built these systems up before me. Mm-hmm. And I had talked about what I felt were his mistakes mm-hmm. and how I corrected them. Now, for me to be that confident, you have to have an attitude whereby you are confident in your skill level and ability, in your competency, as it were. Mm-hmm. And this is built up by constant study, obviously, constant learning, um, trial and error, as mm-hmm. you had put it, because I didn't have a formal education to this, mm-hmm. right? So no one was going to tell me that, listen, this is the proper way to do it. Mm-hmm. You sort of encounter a problem and you go around it. It's a way of thinking. It's a paradigm. And so when you're confident in that paradigm that you have internally built, then your attitude pulls you through that and it's no longer really about that fear of, oh, well, these guys went to big universities and they've worked with big companies and so forth. Mm-hmm. It's that attitude that pulls you through. And that's what these guys really um, were relying on. They made a good bet on it because <laughs> with time, I became confident with my role and I corrected a lot of the systems that were there because um, the article I'm talking about on Medium talked about um, why I moved our backend from using Golang to Node.js. And the considerations there were both economic and um, technical in a sense. Um, and that saved our company at the time because um, when we started up and we got um, we got a round of financing, our seed round financing round, and our backend was a mess. And it was just generally falling apart. And this was built by these these these. I believe guys, yeah. uh, but they were using Golang and these other sophisticated architectures. Mm-hmm. And I found a lot of loopholes, a lot of problems with those. I wasn't particularly um, uh, well-versed with Golang, but I'd come to see where the problems were with the memory and, and the software and corrected a lot of those by migrating to more stable technologies, um, as well as also taking into consideration that if we're going to be hiring engineering at a engineers at a seed round stage, mm-hmm. we would have to do so um, within a budget. And so Golang engineers are much more expensive than Node.js engineers and so forth. And so we completely rebuilt that. And today that is extremely stable. Our backend is completely stable based off of the decisions that I've made back then, mm-hmm. uh, correcting those kind of mistakes. So yes, the attitude is really impo- important in that. And, mm-hmm. and that same attitude should not also limit us from then seeing that these kind of opportunities can be taken advantage of mm-hmm. when you're here in Zimbabwe. Now, the, I like the fact that you were given this strategic decision to make and you were allowed to make it. The perception in Zimbabwe is usually management is very paternal. So someone can come into a system with that ideal of uh, there's paternalistic management. There's not going to be a democratic system. Um, startups are, are not like that, but not all Zimbabweans, especially developers have worked with startups. So when it comes to that paternalistic mentality that Zimbabwean companies have, was there a sort of a culture shock when you entered this? Yes, there was, because I've worked for Zimbabwean companies before I've worked for startups in the West. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to name the particular company, but this was back in my days as an accountant. And you're given a specific role, and you can't maneuver yourself outside of that, right? Mm -hmm. And even if you have ideas outside of that role, um, you know, improving the company as a whole, um, it's generally seen as a threat. Um, you're generally seen as stepping out of bounds and um, oftentimes you get fired for that I was fired for that <laughs> and I worked as a um, and I actually started out as an assistant accountant at the time 
and uh, and then um, because of my um, opinions, I was demoted to a clerk. <laughs> and then when that wasn't enough, because I had even more opinions about what I felt was wrong with the systems at the time, then I, they found a way to get rid of me, and they successfully did so. And I, I never looked back after that. I sort of moved into computer science, and I said, okay, I've spent all this time learning um, accounting with ACA and all the rest of it, but really, I, I just didn't want to be limited in that kind of a sense, whereby, okay, look, if you're supposed to be doing... Um, uh, the, the credit accounts. You do the credit accounts. You don't complain about the way we're doing the credit accounts <laughs> because if you do it properly, it will work, yeah. right? Although the general complaint in the whole company is that the, the creditors, the credit account guys, all the guys working as credit clerks are not doing their job correctly, right? Yeah. And you come with an opinion to improve the process. They're like, we've done it like this forever. Yeah. So why should we change the system? There's a general inertia towards changing systems. And so I've come from that, that you know, as you said, paternalistic system. So much bureaucracy, too much, so much red tape. I've come from that. I, I know what it's like. And then all of a sudden, it changes when you're when you're working for um, a different kind of uh, a company, um, and all of a sudden you're given the a mandate, as it were. Like, okay, look, we've got a problem. Uh, we we brought you in because we think you can fix it. What should we do? And they're they're looking up to you to to fix it. And you've got a lot of room to maneuver and to make opinions, right? Um, and what I'm what I'm particularly happy about is, uh, especially with uh, my boss, the CEO, um, is that he's given me a lot of room, and the company, and even the subordinates below me have had a lot of room to to sort of maneuver around the idea of how do we improve processes, how do we improve systems, how do we improve the product, and so it becomes more of a team building culture. We have a team that we're all geared towards making whatever we're trying to build better. Mm-hmm. It's a different thing. There's, there is, yes, a, a culture shock. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's all about the attitude. So it wasn't something that you know I sort of evolved into because of the new environment. It was something that was always there. And I'm sure for a lot of people, a lot of Zimbabweans out there, uh, a lot of them, and I'll speak especially towards the ones that are going from company to company with an idea, mm-hmm. trying to propose like, oh, listen, I've got a good idea for your company, and they've had doors shut on them. I've been there before. Mm-hmm. That you've already had that attitude. Yeah. Right, you have that idea, you have that spark, and I know a lot of Zimbabweans out there as well have startup ideas as well, and they're trying to get them off the ground. Mm-hmm. They're thinking about how you get funding, how do you do this, how do you do that. That is the attitude that I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. it's already internally built in. You're trying to solve a problem, whether mm-hmm. that is building your own startup, or you recognize that this company has a problem, and you want to build a website for them, or mm-hmm. you want to, um, or you see a problem with their website, their sale rankings are not good, and you want to improve that. Mm-hmm. You know. That's the attitude. The attitude is you want to solve the problem. And and when you approach computer science and you're approaching development, it's really that uh, that need, that mm-hmm. internal desire to want to solve something, really, that propels you. And when you have that, you will do well, irregardless of whatever your competency level was in the beginning. I would never um, describe myself as one who uh, had a natural aptitude towards uh, computer science at all. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even describe myself as a genius uh, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, but with that attitude and um, that determination, yes, there are disappointments along the way. But when um, you continue with that attitude, it, it pulls you to great places. I see. So my my, my next question is kind of weird because it's a CTO in my mind is someone who's both technical and with the business mind. Yes. So you have to meld the two worlds together to be able to speak the language of the of your subordinates who speak a more technical language and speak boardroom talk. Yeah. Um, very good. That's a very good question. Yes. Um, there are two sides to it. Because um, you are the interface between um, the, the board of directors. You're the one who sort of um, simplifies exactly what the systems are. Um, you simplify the product, mm-hmm. what it is. Um, ultimately, you make the product real, right? Um, there's a whole process to this. Um, uh, when you're building, say, an app or a website, right? Um, we have what we call the product development process. Whereby it goes through a UI, UX design process. Mm-hmm. We envision a product to solve a problem, mm-hmm. right? But uh, that product, that 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 idea has to be condensed into an actual product, which is written in code, right? And how do you do that? And there's no one way to do it. There are multiple different faces uh, to doing that. And as a CTO, you're the one who coordinates that response. Mm-hmm. Uh, what backend systems should we use? What frontend systems should we use? Mm-hmm. How practical is it that we uh, we develop this on Android or iOS mm-hmm. in response to the markets that we will be going to? Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of business decisions in that because there are costs as well, right? 
And so the decisions that I've made uh, would be, since we're releasing this to just an American uh, market, we'll just develop this to iOS because uh, that's generally the, the, the convention, usually, if you're just re uh, releasing to an American um, a population. iOS is more than good. Mm -hmm. Unless you're also trying to consider third world countries and developing countries, you maybe have an Android, but how you would interface that in the product development cycle as well, you'd have to start thinking about because there's a budget towards that, right? Yeah. And um, you make, um, so the, the, the technical decisions, yes, you have to make, and the business decisions, as I've said, you have to be the interface. And to make those technical decisions, you have to be sort of the generalist. Mm -hmm. You have to be good at all these systems. Uh, not necessarily the best, mm -hmm. but you have to understand these systems. And in a sense, um, before that engagement, I'd already built up a large number of competencies in a number of different programming languages. Mm -hmm. I usually talk in terms of the ones that I know I'm really, really good at. And at this time, I know that those would be iOS, uh, Swift, Native Development, ReactJS, mm -hmm. usually to build things like websites and uh, administrative dashboards. Node.js usually for my backends. But then I've had, uh, and I've tinkered around with things like GoLang, Python, machine learning, artificial intelligence. I've even taught in these kind of fields, data science and all the rest of it. And because of that panoptic view that I have all these different technologies, I can supervise people in these, and I have general expectations of people who work within them. Right? So we have an AWS expert that works with us. I know exactly what to expect from him, especially when I'm assigning him tasks to achieve something. And coordinating whatever he's going to do alongside maybe a front-end engineer because there's a dependency, right? There's no way a front-end engineer can work without the back-end engineer, for example. So that, that coordination then becomes a business response. So these things are inter, uh, intertwined, um, the, the, the technical and the business when you're working as a CTO. It's, it's a much larger role than just um, being a developer in a company, whereas, um, you know, and I wouldn't want to just say that you just take tasks as a work, but um, when you're a developer, your major concern really is um, for whatever um, part of that um, product that you're responsible for. So if you're a front-end iOS developer, then you're obviously working within the iOS app code, whereas if you're working with the website, and then um, you are responding to that uh, those tasks given for me. But it's a discussion. It's usually a discussion. Mm -hmm. And um, um, nowadays, I think you might be familiar with these tools, things like Jira, for example, and uh, Asana. Uh, whereas when these tasks are assigned, it's it's not usually a, just a top-down approach, really, but it's it's usually uh, a response to what are we trying to develop for the user, and and then it becomes a contract between yourself as the CTO or the the, the lead and the developer who's in the, who's going to end up uh, developing it. Um, you have sort of a contract as to how we're going to solve this together. You come up with the response together. So, so another element I left out of being a CTO was people management, man management itself. That that in itself is an art to be able to deal with different personalities. More so when you're working remotely, as you're in Zimbabwe working for a company in Boston. Yeah. So how, how do you deal with, with with that aspect of dealing with different personalities? Yes, yes. Um, that's 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 actually very interesting because within our own company we have people from China, we have people from Malaysia, mm -hmm. we have people from India, we have people from diverse parts of the world. So. Personality management becomes very important. You have to you have to be very respectful of cultures, for example, uh, very respectful of um, uh, personalities uh, as well. I've dealt with a wide range of different personalities, but the first step to dealing with a personality really comes in when you're inducting people into the company. Right, you want team players, yeah. obviously. Right? And we've had big egoistic personalities, that the kind of thing where you can't tell me what to do. I know I, I, I'm, I'm really good at this uh, kind of thing. And what you really want are team players, people who um, have the ability to, to work with everyone else, uh, importantly. And uh, that's really important. So personalities, the first, the, first, the first block where you deal with personalities is when you induct people into the company. Right? And... In that you build you build sort of some experience as to how that should um, the, the, the the kind of personalities that you want coming in right mm -hmm. and it's a trial and error I've I've been right in certain places I've been wrong in certain places mm -hmm. right and so that's something that I've sort of had to evolve with over time it's different from a technical skill right it's more of a an assessment of that kind of person kind of people that they are you want people that are passionate about what they do 
they're in it because you know this is what they want to do and they understand they they believe in the mission that you want to do mm-hmm. and there's a leadership role to it as well um coming from my end i have to inspire these guys to believe in what we're trying to achieve and that we're achieving this together and we're all going to win and uh, it's all about that and you want personalities that uh, you can inspire uh, coming into the company so um from that it's 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 just generally been uh, trying to uh, trying to understand personalities trying to manage personalities as it were um i've had um wins and losses in that but yeah over time i've i've become better at just trying to manage that and uh, do better okay so the funny thing is i'm still going to stick on that point for a bit because it's a bit of a source for me because uh, i was watching this tiktok unfortunately I've, i'm addicted to it for whatever reason a friend invited me to come to tiktok i had never used it before but after going on it i, I it's like it takes up three hours of my night but in that experience i've seen a lot of things of people creating content around employment around startups and around computer science and businesses and there's a, there's a general perception of toxicity so there was this um guy who was doing a podcast much like we are now and he said what most people in leadership positions don't understand is that you need to inspire people not only that they appreciate what they're getting but they're working to be something to be part of something larger than they than they yeah, are um you're absolutely correct and i'm only speaking from the experience that i have as a ceo for my company but what you've mentioned is something that is generally a problem uh with silicon valley um that i've heard of but i haven't had um a lot of experience with myself um we have the bro culture as mm-hmm. it were um something uh that has uh, limited uh, particularly uh, females who want to uh, climb up the the ladder uh, of software development regardless of skill uh we have that uh, toxic uh, culture whereby um seniors uh, or more senior people in the company um have this um you know I'm better than you kind of attitude this this god level attitude um and this uh, no nonsense kind of like con- condescending attitude towards other people and maybe you're their mistakes you know we've had that and i've heard about it uh, before i can't speak um on that particular i've only heard this from um, much larger companies in reading uh, i haven't had some experience with that um but yes i've heard of it and this is some of the kind of things that i'm fortunate enough that my ceo um had actually you know talked about and uh, and oriented me to try to avoid it's just got in the complex uh because even coming from where i am, I have an aptitude that is well above some of the kind of uh, some of the engineers that we are there within our own company. But that shouldn't then uh make me the villain. Or even to uh castigate them for mistakes that they might make. Because some mistakes are made. Mm-hmm. And we have this attitude even within our own uh, company that we yeah, we make mistakes, mistakes happen. Mm-hmm. And we acknowledge that we've made a mistake, we move forward from that, we learn from that and we have this schedule where we're like, okay, look, these are the mistakes we've made, we're not going to make them again, so we put the schedule up and say, okay, we've learned from that. Which is great. Um so uh, I really like to think that the culture that we sort of built up is is a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh but notwithstanding, yes, that that the culture you've talked about is there. How prevalent it is, I don't know. Um, like I've said, I haven't been in that position where I've actually actively encountered it. But yes, I've heard of it. The bro culture, the toxic culture of God level complex and so forth. I, I've definitely heard of that. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that, that we do live in a system where we're supposedly more intelligent than the people who were there 10 decades ago or a decade ago. Yeah, and unfortunately with computer science um, and depending on how deep uh, you're, you're doing it, you know, you it's one field whereby you, you might feel you're better than a lot of other people, you know, based off of your own skill level, experience, and so forth. It's very easy to get caught up and think that I'm the best thing that's ever happened, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, status level, as it were, uh, positions of power, it happens a lot, you know, um, where you've got a hierarchy of things, as it were. Um, and it's, it's exemplary, of, obviously, of human society, we're like that. But the, the real challenge, even, coming from someone like myself being a CTO, is to... To, to break down those kind of barriers mm. and uh, to establish an equal playing field where people can contribute because you find that some of the greatest contributions aren't actually made from some of the people that you had initially thought yeah. were going to make the greatest contributions but yeah. they do right mm-hmm. uh, some of the worst bugs we've uh, we've had to fix came from people who initially came in as juniors mm. uh, they figured out there's something wrong here and nobody saw that and a lot of users were facing that problem and this guy picks it up right mm-hmm. uh, and he had the uh the confidence to speak up because he was given the platform mm-hmm. um and so i can't speak for a lot of other companies but I'd, i'd like to think that when you create an equal playing field that people would actively contribute and um, uh, 
give up some of the best suggestions that I've come come in for. Interesting. So how how was your experiences, all of this that you from Udemy all the way to, to now being a CTO, how has that informed the course that you developed? Um, to, to give Zimbabweans more opportunity out there in the wider world. All right, great. So this this brings us to this course. So um, I've had all these experiences, and I've sort of somewhat become unplugged to how the local development scene is like. It's been a long time since I've uh, had a chance to look at what everyone else here is doing. Mm-hmm. But I have a general feeling uh, that people haven't taken up on these opportunities as much. Uh, I've rarely, I've, not, I've never seen another Zimbabwean out there um, having scouted for talent on Upwork and uh, Guru and all these other platforms that we use to try to scout for talent for the company. Uh, rarely, rarely do you even see other Africans as well. It's, it's really rare, right? But uh, it, it's somewhat disappointing because uh, from my own experience, uh, coming in from Udemy, coming up to where I am, it's really accessible. Um, I mean, all you need is a computer and an internet connection at the bare minimum, right? That's all we're talking about. Um, and like I had mentioned earlier on in this interview, uh, look, the talent is there, right? Yeah. I mean, if you have a general O-level education, if you can achieve a decent education, then you have the ability and the skill set to actually start um, um, in a, some kind of a software development field, uh, app development, mobile mm-hmm. development. Some of the greatest people who've done it started out when they were like 12 years old, um, uh, 16 years old, and so forth, right? You can yeah. start this in high school and start earning something. So my feeling um, is that there's a lack of awareness that these opportunities exist and that um, people may have not reached the competency level uh, to, to uh, achieve these remote positions. Uh, or have not achieved the confidence to do so, or just don't know where these uh, remote positions are. Yeah. So what I've done is I've created a course, and this course uh, teaches uh, Node.js and React.js. Now, I, I chose those two particularly because they're highly accessible to some others. Mm-hmm. I am an iOS developer, an expert one, but uh, I wouldn't imagine a lot of people have iPhones and, Mac, and Macs to, to develop on iPhone uh, platforms. So instead, React.js and, and Node.js are very popular JavaScript-based platforms, um, uh, whereas demand for these people who know these is actually surging well past the supply. So out there, there are a lot of companies looking for React.js, Node.js developers, and they just uh, aren't enough people that they can hire, right? This is the reality today, right? And companies, particularly in America, have started to look towards getting remote developers to take up these positions. Um, and I can speak as of right now that a lot of people from all around the world, India, Malaysia, they're taking up on these opportunities. And I see very few Zimbabweans doing the same. And so this course gears to people towards getting that competency. So basically this course, I'll be teaching you Node.js uh, for backend-based development, how to develop a backend. And I will be teaching you React.js to build things like websites. Although you can use React.js as well to build um, apps if you go into what we call React Native. Uh, but I will not be teaching app development with that. But with what you will learn from me, you could easily just move into that path. And I'll be teaching Node.js and React.js at a competency level to get these uh, remote developer positions. Now, what do I mean by the, the correct competency level, right? Well, there's a very big difference with what you get from a Udemy course, right? These pre-made video courses. And that a lot of them um, try to get you off the ground so that you have some idea of how to develop a website or some idea of how to uh, develop an app. But then they sort of leave you wanting, like, okay, um, now I have to do it myself and you're sort of stuck, right? Like, how do I put functions and classes and things together? And what you find is maybe if you're able to do that, you get into a real company and all of a sudden you're met with other frameworks you've never heard of, like GraphQL, and you start hearing about things like dev environments, staging environments, and like, where is all this stuff coming from? It's because they leave that out, right? Because they're only trying to get you off the ground. And so when I talk about a competency level, I'm talking about a competency whereby I could take you on as either a junior or an intermediate developer into the company. You have the right skill set um, already, as it were. So this is what this course aims to do. And it's just not the same as some Udemy course or some other course that you get on Team Treehouse or any one of these other places. It's going to get you at the correct competency level that these companies want. And the other thing is that uh, this course will also get you job ready, right? In, in a sense that you also get the other things that you need to know, things like knowledge of Jira, right? Um, you need to know about Jira because this is often the way that tasks are assigned. It's a very common project management tool. 
that you have to be aware of. But there are other uh, management tools that exist like Asana, and I'm going to make you aware of these things. Versioning tools like Git and GitHub and how you uh, use those kind of things. Pipeline, CI, CID, and so forth. Uh, those kind of things. And um, it also teaches you where to find these remote developer positions, right? Where do you find them? Um, and also what to expect. And honestly, I think for a lot of people, this would be a great opportunity. And I can only imagine that I'm speaking right now to some guy who's uh, sitting right now at UZ and mm -hmm. is doing a computer science degree. And for some reason, you're struggling to get past paying your fees. Uh, that's almost unforgivable mm -hmm. because with what you have right now, you could be um, actively in some kind of a remote developer position right now, earning a decent amount of at least $2,000 US a month. That is generally a very realistic thing to aim for mm -hmm. as a junior developer. Uh, it's not absurd at all. And I know that maybe from a Zimbabwean uh, perspective, that, that's a huge amount of money, mm -hmm. but not with the marketplace that we're looking at and the demand that we have for ReactJS and Node.js developers. It's a simple three-month course that covers all this stuff, mm -hmm. uh, as I've mentioned, getting you to the correct competency level, uh, teaching you where to find these remote developer positions, mm -hmm. and uh, giving you the confidence that you need to actually approach these um, as well. And this is exactly what this course is all about, is to bridge that gap uh, of awareness uh, in these things and just sort of have some kind of a transformation and, and start to see a lot more Africans, particularly Zimbabweans in this scene. Yeah. It's actually good. And now most people worry about so some of the facts and figures, how much is how much is the course going to cost to be able to well, that's a good question. So right now I've um, I've priced the course at about a hundred dollars. Look at the entire thing. Uh, not the whole thing. The, uh, it's, it's per month. Okay. It's a three month course. Mm -hmm. So um, if you take just one of the um, the language frameworks. So if you take React.js on, on its own, it's 100 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. If you take Node.js on its own, it's 100 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. If you take both, I'll give you a 25% discount. So instead of it being $200 a month, it will be $150 a month mm -hmm. to take both React.js and Node.js. And that's, that's a huge bonus on your part. Because why? You're both a front-end and a back-end engineer, which mm -hmm. is what we then, we then refer to you as full-stack developer. Mm -hmm. We refer to you as full stack is because you can generally build both the front end and the back end. And now just to demystify that for people who are complete beginners, when we talk about a front end, what we're really talking about is building uh, things like apps and websites. We call those front end because those are the ones that face the users. This is what the users actively uh, interact with. So if you're going to be interacting with Facebook on your desktop, uh, the website, we call that the front end side. If you're going to be interacting with Facebook from an app, then this is the front-end side, right? And we build those with front-end frameworks, and React.js is one of them. Very popular. React.js was, um, uh, uh, I think, uh, built by Facebook, and is used by very big companies around the world. Um, and so uh, it's, it's a great framework to learn. And then when we talk about back-end or Node.js, Node.js is a very popular back-end framework, right? It's used by things like, uh, like, like Netflix, for example. Netflix, and this is uh, the development of uh, the back-end system, with the part that the users do not see. Because when you're interacting with stuff on, say, a website, or you're interacting with something on, uh, say, a web an app, right, there, you have to save some of that data. Like, you put in your name, right, uh, for your profile on Facebook. It's got to be stored somewhere, so the next time you can actually retrieve that, right? So there is uh, a database technology involved in that. There's a processing center where it crunches the data as you're interacting on the site, so there's always a back-end-based system, and mm -hmm. Node.js is part of that. So it's a simplified way of, uh, it's kind of simplified when I say Node.js, right, because there's a whole bunch more to that. So when I'm saying I want to teach you Node.js, there's Node.js and a complete backend. So with that, you're going to be learning things like GraphQL, you're going to be learning MongoDB, which is a database storage technology. We call that a NoSQL-type database. Uh, very popular with startups because it's flexible, very scalable, mm -hmm. um, uh, as opposed to things like Postgres SQL. Mm -hmm. doesn't take away from that. There are pros and cons. I don't want to get into that kind of debate yeah. uh, because, you know, people tend to get a bit geeky about that. Mm -hmm. But I feel MongoDB gives you more opportunities nowadays to do with startups. And, uh, yeah, then there are other technologies there as well, like Apollo, Redis, and all the rest of it. So that's what we call Node.js, the complete um, backing system. And when I talk about Re uh, React.js, Again, there's a whole bunch of technologies associated with that as well. Uh, we talk about Apollo to connect with the backend. Mm. And so when I teach you these and you do both, essentially you'll be building the same solution. Because with the React.js, we're going to build 
a, uh, a task manager app website. Mm-hmm. And if you do the Node.js, you're also going to build the back end for that. So you're going to have an appreciation for the whole process. And uh, in terms of your job marketability, uh, your job marketability will certainly be much higher when you have both uh, coming in as a full stack. But nothing's taken away from you when you just do one. Right? It's, it's perfectly fine to come in as just a React.js developer. It's perfectly, perfectly fine to come in as just a Node.js developer uh, as well. So if you take just one of them, React.js or Node.js, it's 100 bucks a month. If you take both, then there's a discount from $200, it becomes 150 bucks a month. And if you want to do, if you want to pay for all two um, over the, the for three months, then I give you a 30 something percent discount. It becomes 420 dollars uh, a month, and uh, sorry, over the duration of the entire three months instead of uh, 600 bucks. So that's a huge discount there as well. Okay, that's it. Sounds like a good deal. It's a lot cheaper than some of the schools I've been hearing in Chicago, uh, that the universities particularly, uh, because the, you'd be doing this remotely. But then with the remote, with anything remote in Zimbabwe, then comes the the fear I have with the course, as good as it is, is access to internet, which is a big problem. So someone might have the drive to do it, but not necessarily have access to decent internet. So from what we've observed, in most cases, Harare, Bolloway, and Mutare are usually the places where people get better access to internet. Now, companies have tried. Uh, unfortunately, I think Zoll turned off their um, free half-an-hour hotspot thing they had going on now for like near 10 years. Um, then Utande came and filled in the gap and made them cheaper. So it's available, but it's cheaper. But those places are, are still limited. So my fear is that now people would be interested in doing it. Um, the problems are internet access. The second is uh, having a, a, a device in general. Um, yeah, that's and a very, very, very good point. Um, so the device, as you've mentioned, um, uh, with the particular frameworks I've, I've, I've brought up, these are available via uh, Windows and Mac OS-based devices. So generally, any laptop is pretty much good. You don't need anything high-powered to, to run these kind of things. And in terms of accessibility, I've thought about that as well. Now, look, I'm not looking for something whereby I have a general school built around it. It's an idea. I just have a feeling that people just don't have access to this. So it's just a test run, right? And I'm not looking for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I might start out with maybe even just 20 people, and that's it. And I'm done with that. I've had a feel for it, and I just don't think it's something that will will scale, Mm -hmm. right? So um, with that in mind, I'm prepared to actually take people in, and they can have uh, in-person classes uh, within my actual house, where I have this room that we're currently in, I have already some established internet already as it is, mm-hmm. and we can we can do in-person classes, and I can teach them in person to um, get around that problem mm-hmm. of the internet access. So I'm giving two options here: we can do live stream classes mm-hmm. where I'm available to people, and, and we can also do in person as well. So I'm kind of looking at both options being available. Um, and also, if you if you miss any courses, then I could always pre-record the videos and just send them off to you via email and whatnot, and you can just do them uh, at your own pace at home because maybe you were too busy because you were at work or you were at school and so forth. So I'll definitely make a plan. It's very manageable when I'm talking about a few people. Um, but it's all geared towards this idea. Yeah. And if, if the demand is pretty good and I see that people generally do want to uh, take advantage of these kind of opportunities, work-at-home opportunities where they, they can make money while they're at home, right, as a remote developer. I see that, that's pretty good. Yes, it might actually start to expand a bit. Um, but I'm looking to conducting uh, just a few people. So li- there are limited places at the moment. So I'll be very interested and keen to get people in on a first-come, first-served basis and, and to work with them and see how that works and adjust according to whatever schedules that they have. So this is very different from, um, you know, uh, okay, you're going to have to be available at 8 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. I can be flexible because I'm only going to be taking on a few people. I see. So let's say the scalability is, is, is there's potential for it to be scalable. Is this something that you'd be willing to, you know, sell off to another platform, give the idea off, you know, to. Uh, yeah, um, there's been an idea. And look, I've, I've had pro- proposals from a lot of people to, to build some kind of a platform. Mm-hmm. I've had from around the world, really. On my LinkedIn, um, people have come with numerous proposals from the UK all the way from New Zealand. That I, I start something, and at one point in time, with my boss uh, in, in my own company, mm. he suggested we start a startup, uh, a startup school in, in Zimbabwe to teach code. Mm. Uh, I've received these before, so yes, um, and it will scale according to what I what I learn, right? So I want to take an informed approach to this, okay. uh, according to the needs of the kind of people that I'm dealing with. Like I've said, I've been unplugged from the local development scene. 
But it's very hard for me to assess exactly how this would feel right now when I don't know what the exact needs of people are here, uh, what their um, general apprehensions might be, limitations might be. So this trial run would be a very great way of learning about what all that is and scaling that. And yes, if it gets to a point where we start up a, a proper school around this, where people can actually have formal lessons, that would be great. Um, because like I've mentioned, this is a great opportunity for people to make money um, outside of the lack of opportunities here locally, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's a win-win for everyone. Um, we bring in valuable foreign currency, and uh, people make valuable foreign currency. It's great. Yeah, I like the idea of a startup school, to be honest. I think uh, it would do well to inform the next generation. Exactly. Um, I mean, we can get there, definitely. We've had a number of countries that have got that far. Uh, We can talk uh, further afield, like India, for example, whereby this is such a thing, they even have laws around how it's supposed to be done. It's so established there. And I'm sure for a number of companies that might be listening to this, they know this because um, with India, there's no lack of software developers. They even have their own Silicon Valley, as it were, Mm -hmm. down that side. Um, And a couple of African countries are are picking up on this. Kenya, Rwanda, they have their own development ecosystems. And so with Zimbabwe, yeah, this could be the start of a a really mature one. But again, I don't want to speak uh, preemptively about what's actually going on, because I don't know. We might already be having that right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly, I'd like to contribute towards that with what I've learned. And I'm only coming in with my own competencies. Uh, with my own experience coming in as both someone who's worked as a remote developer for as a CTO for almost two years, and also as someone who's taught tens of thousands of students in uni for almost two to three years as well. Yeah, so the resume speaks for itself, though. Like yeah. you do have uh, a good handle of what you're doing, as well as the, the experience in the field at the, at the very highest level, I should say, to be able to, to inform this course. And it's, it's good. Like I, I like the fact that you're coming into this with a very sober uh, approach. Uh, most people shoot way too far. Now they say shoot for the stars, but that's relative. Uh, yeah. You shoot for the stars, you hubris will then set in. You then start thinking, you know, overconfidence, all those things. But the way you're coming around it to me sounds compelling because you're like, now let's start off small and build block by block as we got, which I guess speaks to the business and, and technical knowledge that you have as a, a CTO. Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. it just makes it a hell of a lot easier for anyone who wants to get onto it. And I hope what you said in terms of the way you manage your position is a, is a great enough advert. Uh, hence why I wanted to start from there because it, it, it makes more sense to, for people to know the teacher um, rather than to experience the teacher when they don't have prior experience to so all those things remove that uh, culture shock for most of our ones who are expecting the conventional academic situation even though we've been in a year and some change of, of, um, of remote learning and, 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 and remote work Absolutely uh, Thank you very much Bian, uh, for your time uh, this was quite enlightening I'll leave all the links below um, so you might check out uh, the, the school your profile uh, your LinkedIn as well um, any and your medium, so people can go through. Um, there's a developer friend of mine, I think, who'd be very interested in in, in the article we wrote about um, how you migrate systems. I'm pretty sure he'll, he'll appreciate that as much, even uh, the people who are, who, are, who are listening. Absolutely, thank you very much for your time, Brian. All right, uh, to everyone listening, thank you for staying with us. I hope I kept it under an hour this time. Uh, I usually go far overshoot it. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye.